Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on the programme first and foremost today by Sue Allen. Sue is the Group Finance Director at Willoughby Limited, the UK's largest manufacturer of caravan holiday homes and lodges. Sue, very warm welcome to you today and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me, Scott. It's a real pleasure having you with us, Sue. Um, The reason why we're here, of course, is to discuss your take on leadership first and foremost. So if we begin by taking that word leader aside for a moment and considering that in a bit more detail, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates on the whole. Well, when I think of leaders, I always think of the leaders that are around me now, the leaders that I've worked with in the past. So it's really someone who inspires, who coaches and and who guides people around them. And that's not necessarily just those in their own team. It just it becomes a wider thing. Certainly. And um, you have over 30 years of experience, of course, working in finance related roles. Um, So how would you describe your leadership style today? I think my my style now is, is really the natural me. I would say earlier in my career, it was probably what I believed others expected um, that leadership role to be. But now it's very much the suit that you see outside of where um, comes through strongly in the suit that's inside the office. So I've always got a smile. Um, I like to connect with people um, and really to have quite a warm leadership style so that um, I am giving that coaching to people. I'm really trying to um, encourage them to dig deep and use their natural strengths and their natural style to help them day to day as well. Because I think is um, when it comes to leadership, um, a good approach is not just to be the person over one's shoulder, constantly telling them what to do, but also to encourage them, as you say there, to just sort of push the boundaries of their comfort zones, try things for themselves and use sort of the setbacks that they may suffer as part of that experience to learn and develop. Because ultimately, without that little bit of independence, we can't really hope to progress and get anywhere as either individuals or even as leaders, can we? No, that's right. And I, I have to say that, you know, events like this current pandemic, they really allow us to kind of test ourselves and, and quite often surprise ourselves of, you know, where we can dig deep and, and find those reserves of resilience and strength that we probably never realised that we have before. I think that's very right, Sue. I think we are seeing people really bringing out the best in themselves during this period of adversity. And that goes for this generation of business leaders as well, who've had to step up to the plate, of course, to try and chart a course through this crisis. Um, You you work, of course, in the manufacture of caravan holiday homes and lodges. Of course, the travel tourism industry has been decimated by the crisis, but manufacturing has been considered a key industry and has largely carried on, even though a lot of manufacturing has rerouted toward key medical supplies in your case sue how has the pandemic and the lockdown period especially affected willoughby well immediately it just completely closed us down i suppose probably like most of the manufacturers there was a moment after the 24th of march where we just said right well we need to take stock stock we had a business continuity plan 
but it needed to be a lot broader for a longer term pandemic than we'd expected. So we, we sent everybody home and we sort of got a team together and said, right, what can we do? What do we absolutely have to do first of all? We need to keep our staff safe. So everybody that could go home, they went home to work from home. And those obviously who work in the manufacturing plant, they weren't able to come back immediately. So we had to work on a new plan for how we could do that safely. So it did impact us pretty dramatically. We've got over 900 people working for us across five different production lines. So we, we really had to rethink all of that very quickly and also to be able to communicate to all of those people as well what was the plan. Because the one thing that we wanted to avoid was that people had gone home and they were worried about their long-term job security, what was going to happen to them. So communication was probably the key to everything. Mm, absolutely, because people react to different circumstances differently, let alone a crisis such as this. And the natural reaction for a lot of people amid all of this uncertainty and worry is to look to you as sort of their leadership team for that reassurance, that guidance, um, that expectation of what is to come. I suppose being an employee, you do almost kind of have that ability to look upwards in the hierarchical ladder in a business for that bit of direction and inspiration when you do need it. But when you're in a sort of a leadership role like yourself and there isn't really anybody above you as such to turn to, where is it that you look to for that little bit of inspiration and direction as and when you need it? Is it within or is it elsewhere? Well, I'm I'm really lucky because I've got quite a broad business network. So um, I'd already been talking in the first few weeks of March with with other people in different sectors, um, not necessarily in manufacturing as well, and just just getting the ideas of what they were trying and what was working well, what wasn't. And I continued with that. And, and we all sort of inspired each other because literally things were changing by the hour, whether that be regulations or new initiatives from the government. Um, and just that people were finding the way through. So, yes, to a certain extent, you have to dig deep and just be creative yourself. And Nothing that we've gone through in the last few months is something that anybody has prepared for in any great detail. So you are kind of coming up with new ideas all the time. But you can also use each other. Um, and we help our suppliers. We talk to our customers to support them. And also our competitors. I think this has been a time where you've really all got to pull together. Normally, we're all trying to get more business from each other as all businesses are, but times like this, it's the whole industry that matters. So I would say the inspiration came from many, many places. That's certainly encouraging uh, to hear there, Sue. And um, of course, you've talked about their circumstances, um, especially when it comes to government guidance, changing sometimes at quite short notice. Um, Considering that communication, clarity, transparency, honesty are all very important facets of leadership in itself. Just how do you feel about the government's leadership through this crisis thus far? Do you think that it's been clear that you've known what's been expected of you to operate safely when you've had to? Or has it been just that little bit more complicated in your view? Um, I think the, the honest view is that we didn't always have crystal clear guidance from the government. Um, on exactly how to do 
everything to be completely safe in the environment that we work in. But then I wouldn't really have reasonably expected that because every industry is different. And within it, every industry, each site operates differently. And the way that you operate has to be different, therefore, as well. So, um, yes, we got very quick guidance on things like the furlough scheme, which was helpful. Um, so we knew that we could safely send so many people home and, and ensure that the, the financial strength of the business was still there. And then that meant that we could have a very slow um, uptick in the amount of activity that we had on our site. And by being able to do that, you can absolutely work out how to do things very safely. You can do it in advance, then you can trial it. And whilst you're trialing, you can have people observing and then you can change as you go along. So um, I would say, no, we haven't had extremely prescriptive directives from government on how to do everything. But we have had enough general support that meant that we could actually work our way through it and work out what to do. And reflecting on your experience of the uh, the lockdown period and how it has changed our working practices. Do you think that there are some features of this time that could end up being a permanent part of the way that business operates in this country, particularly in the manufacturing industry? Yes, I, I think flexibility is, is the first thing. We've all really understood exactly how flexible we can be and, and also what our great constraints are. Probably the biggest lesson that we've learned at Willoughby is that we are part of an ecosystem. So we stick bang in the middle. We really depend upon the tourism industry to send us our orders. And once they've been locked down, it's very difficult for us to work out a very clear plan of exactly when the volume would come back. Um, the size of that volume. So we just had to take some sort of initiative ourselves on that. And then equally, our suppliers were all, we're all relying upon us at the same time as we were relying upon them. So it was a bit chicken and egg when we wanted to restart production, whether our suppliers would be ready. And they needed us to come up with a really firm plan. So in the end, we just said, this is the day we want to start up. Will you be able to support us? What do we need to do to work together to make sure that this works for everybody? Because you need all the pieces of the puzzle to be in place to be able to step forward. I can certainly see where you're coming from from that point of view, Sue, for sure. And now thinking about the uh, the future, it only serves, of course, right that we talk about that just before we do wrap things up on the, uh, the programme today. Um, we are going to be adapting to a new normal that much is clear but over the next sort of 12 to 18 months what do you think is next for you and for Willoughby Limited and what do you really hope to achieve during this time? Well we're all really looking forward to a a bumper season in 2021 because uh, the great British public really seems to have fallen in love with the British staycation so for us it's about understanding what those consumers really want to get from their holiday in the UK so um, we can really match our product and make sure that we're ready whenever they are to start their holiday. And I think one of the things is that maybe our traditional holiday season will look very different from this time onwards. We're already seeing that people are wanting to continue to holiday in the UK out into autumn and winter. So um, that's very different for us here. Um, and we'll be ready for that with our 
lovely, warm, snuggly homes with um, every amenity to deal with the UK weather, I think. Let's certainly hope that we do see a real positive uptake on that side of things, uh, Sue, for sure. And I think there will be some positive news to uh, come over the uh, the course of the next year as far as that is concerned. Um, So considering just how much of a pleasure it's been having you join us today and also how informative it's been hearing your views, I think it would be wonderful to have you on the show in future just to see how things are getting on maybe a few months down the line. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to join you again. It would be wonderful, Sue. Um, it's been fantastic having you join us today, as I've mentioned. And most importantly, until hopefully we do speak again in future, please do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on because we're still not quite out of the woods with this one yet, that's for sure. And hopefully it will all be positive movement from here. Definitely. Take care, Scott. I was speaking today to Sue Allen, Group Finance Director at Willoughby Limited. And for those tuning into this, please do continue to be sensible, look after yourselves and others, because it does make a real difference in keeping people safe and saving lives. Um, Up next on today's programme, I'm going to be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with... England's FIFA World Cup 1966 hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, Sir Sir Jeff, during his football career, scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But he remains most known for the fact that he is the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a FIFA World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff and all of that is of course coming up next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times but when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. 
he would still say that Ron Green was, is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people 
and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i, I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think mm. i was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very 
I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and say, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, Stoke 
and of course into uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to but I will uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it uh, perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. The younger players coming in into the team latterly, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh sir alf or even ron greenwood managing teams today yes i think so i think yes no Mm. no question at all i think they uh ron greenwood yeah the answer straightforward answer is yes um (laughs) the straightforward answer is yes i can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that, struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think 
that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at that, so many, many, and that's why we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.